Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to episode number 68 of the Scottish History Podcast. My name is Owen Innes and in this week's episode, we're going to be focusing on a subject which has been requested quite a number of times, so why don't we get through it? And it does, in a way, slightly tie in with what we were talking about last week with William McGonagall. So join me for episode number 68 of the Scottish History Podcast as I tell you about the Tay Bridge disaster. So last week we focused on possibly the worst poet in the world, or was even the world's greatest comedian, William McGonagall. This week we will focus on another worst off. I mentioned this exact incident actually back in episode number 61 about the fourth bridge. This is a story of another bridge, the Tay Bridge, more specifically the first Tay Bridge and the Tay Bridge disaster, which remains to this day as one of the worst disasters to ever be seen in Scotland. Now, the River Tay is the longest river in Scotland at 117 miles or 188 kilometres long. It runs from its source on Ben Louis in Argyll in the west of Scotland and then it passes through Loch Dochart, Loch Ewer and Loch Tay before running through the city of Perth and finally through the city of Dundee in the east before becoming the North Sea. At Dundee, the Tay is just over two miles wide. Trains used to stop at the village of Warmit on the southern side where then journeys would switch to train ferry to take the passengers over the Tay to Dundee, where a normal train service would resume. As mentioned in episode number 61, the engineer Thomas Bouch was the pioneer of train ferries, but he had also built bridges and other railway branch lines all over the UK, and when the decision was made to connect Fife to Dundee via a railway bridge, it was Thomas Bouch who got the call. The first proposals to build a bridge across the Tay were brought forth in 1854. However, it wasn't until the North British Railway Tay Bridge Act received royal permission on the 15th of July 1870 that the bridge could be built. The foundation stone for the bridge was laid on the 22nd of July 1871. 
Now, Thomas Bouch was renowned for his use and preference for lattice girder designs that combined the use of both cast and wrought iron. Previously, a bridge in Chester in Cheshire in England with a similar design to what Bouch had chosen for the Tay Bridge collapsed in 1847. Now, this bridge was called the D Bridge and had been designed by Robert Stevenson, the son of George Stevenson, known as the father of railways. Bouch, however, maintained his faith in his design, which was even copied by Gustav Eiffel of the Eiffel Tower fame to build a series of viaducts in southern France. Now, the original design of the Tay Bridge featured brick piers resting on the bedrock under the water. The single track line would be supported by deck trusses, simply like a platform between each brick pier. The middle of the bridge was to be a through truss, in which there was no real support underneath the platform and was instead supported by the so-called high girders. This would allow ships to sail underneath the bridge to head towards Perth. However, in the middle of the river, the bedrock lay deeper in the water than the initial boring trials had shown, so Bouch had to redesign. He used fewer piers than initially designed, which led to longer girder spans. The brick piers were replaced by sinking wrought iron caissons into the riverbed, removing as much sand as possible and then filling these caissons with concrete to make them stronger. Bouch then would go on to use lattice iron skeleton piers which would take the weight of the bridging girders. The change in the design of course increased the cost of construction, a hit for Bouch as he was known to build things very cheaply, and of course caused a delay to the opening of the bridge. But another delay was caused to the bridge in February 1877 when two of the high girders were being lifted into place they fell into the water. However the first locomotive crossed the bridge in September of that year and a board of trade inspection carried out over three days in February 1878 deemed the bridge fit to carry passenger trains subject to a 25 mile per hour or 40 kilometres an hour speed limit. The inspection report did however state When again visiting the spot, I should wish, if possible, to have an opportunity of observing the effects of high wind when a train of carriages is running over the bridge. The bridge never received this test and was formally opened on the 1st of June 1878. Thomas Bouch was given a knighthood in June 1879 after Queen Victoria herself travelled over the bridge. Now, on the evening of Sunday 28th of December 1879, Scotland was being struck by a violent storm with heavy winds battering the whole country. One Dundee local even compared the storm to a hurricane and a typhoon that he had witnessed in the China Sea. Nowadays it is estimated that the winds hitting the Tay Bridge that night were around 80 miles per hour or 129 kilometres an hour. Now, as the bridge was only a single line, only one train could cross at a time and this was controlled by a signalling block system. I think I might have mentioned it before, I quite like trains and stuff like that so I know about this but I'll tell you a wee bit about it. So this was basically a baton 
used as a token, which was collected from a signal box before the bridge, and once the train had crossed over, the token was then handed back to the signal box on the other side of the bridge. Now, this stopped two trains being on the one single line at the same time. At 7.13pm that Saturday night, a train coming from Burnt Island in Fife slowed down at the Wormit signal box to collect the token to cross the bridge towards Dundee. The locomotive, its five passenger carriages and its brake van then headed out onto the bridge and notably picked up speed. The signalman went to note the, the train in the ledger and then stoked the fire in the signal box. His friend in the box, a man called John Black, instead watched the train. Around 200 yards, 180 metres, onto the bridge, Black states that he saw sparks coming from the wheels of the right side of the train, which he had also seen on the previous train crossing the bridge. He then states that he saw a large flash of white light as the train reached the high girders section of the bridge. And then... Nothing. The train's tail light had also completely disappeared, as though the train had just simply vanished. Black told the signalman of this, but he didn't actually believe him. The signalman looked out to the Dundee side of the bridge, but as Black had said, there was no sign of the train whatsoever. He then tried to connect to the signal box at Dundee, but he could not connect to there. It was as if the phone lines had been cut. Now in Dundee, two men, one man called James Roberts, who was a locomotive fireman in Dundee, and his friend James Smith became worried when the train failed to show up at Dundee Station. The two decided to walk across the bridge to see if they could locate the train. The wind got too much for James Smith and he turned back, but James Roberts kept going. And it was he who discovered the gap. The bridge at the high girders had completely disappeared into the water. I must also add here as well, there is a great painting of James Roberts peering over the um, the side of the bridge, uh, looking down into the dark water. Um, I'd, I'd have a look for that if you can uh, find it online. The following morning, all that could be seen was a gap where the high girders should be. The girders themselves were poking up just above the surface of the water. Now, rescue divers were sent underneath the water to observe the scene. Now, the entire train, including the locomotive, were encased inside the high girders underwater. There were no human survivors. The only survivor of this disaster was the locomotive, North British Railways Locomotive 224. It was first attempted to be recovered, but its chains broke, forcing it back underwater. A second attempt was made, but again the locomotive fell back into the water. It was finally recovered on its third try. The locomotive, believe it or not, was actually restored and put back into service. From then on, it was nicknamed the Diver, for obvious reasons. Now, drivers also refused to drive the diver over the rebuilt Tay Bridge when they, when they rebuilt it. However, on the 29th anniversary of the disaster, the 28th of December 1908, the diver 
was used on the Sunday night mail train to Dundee over the brand new Tay Bridge. And it survived. The Thomas Bouch was called on the Sunday night and arrived by special train via Perth, of course, because there's no bridge, to Dundee on the Monday morning. Now, a court of inquiry was immediately set up to determine the cause of the collapse of the bridge. Now, the majority of the evidence is way too detailed to list on this episode and likely boring for non-engineers, but essentially the final findings were. Neither the foundations or girders were at fault. The quality of wrought iron, whilst not the best, was not a factor. The cast iron was also fairly good, but presented difficulty in casting. The workmanship and fitting of the piers was inferior in many respects. The cross bracing of the piers and its fastenings were too weak to resist heavy gales. There was insufficiently strict supervision of the iron foundry which had been set up in Warmit and Fife to help build the bridge. Supervision of the bridge after completion was also found to be unsatisfactory. The person left in charge had no experience of ironworking. The bridge was built out of iron. Loose ties in the connection of the ironwork were never reported. And the 25 mile per hour speed limit that was set up was not strictly enforced and very often exceeded. Now the new Tay Bridge, and that's the one that exists today, was built again by North British Railways and William Arrell and Company, who also built the fourth bridge, the subject of episode 61. Now this one is a dual track and was built between 1883 and 1887, uh, kind of combined with the building of the fourth bridge. It was built just 18 metres away from the original bridge and today you can actually still see the original masonry from the first bridge at low tide. In total, the death toll for the Tay Bridge disaster is still to this day quite controversial. Some say there were up to 300 people on that train that night. However, only 56 ticket stubs were collected at the station before the bridge. The ticket officer reported seeing a few season ticket holders on board who wouldn't give up a ticket, and as well as 11 passengers who retained their tickets as well. So the reported loss was 75 people, but the inquiry states 59 known victims, of which there were only 46 bodies recovered. Now, living in Dundee at that particular time was... Sir William Topaz McGonagall, the Knight of the White Elephant, Burma, and he wrote probably his most famous work about the Tay Bridge disaster. Beautiful railway bridge of the Silvery Tay, alas, I am very sorry to say that 90 lives have been taken away on the last Sabbath day of 1879, which will be remembered for a very long time. "'Twas about seven o'clock at night, and the wind it blew with all its might, "'and the rain came pouring down, and the dark clouds seemed to frown, "'and the demon of the air seemed to say, "'I'll blow down the Bridge of Tay. "'When the train left Edinburgh, the passengers' hearts were light and felt no sorrow, "'but Boreas blew a terrific gale, which made their hearts for to quail.' 
and many of the passengers with fear did say, I hope God will send us safe across the Bridge of Tay. But when the train came near to Warmit Bay, Boreas he did loud and angry bray, and shook the central girders of the Bridge of Tay on the last Sabbath day of 1879, which will be remembered for a very long time. So the train sped on with all its might, and Bonnie Dundee soon hove in sight, and the passengers' hearts felt light, thinking they would enjoy themselves on the new year with their friends at home they'd loved most dear, and wish them all a happy new year. So the train moved slowly along the Bridge of Tay, until it was about midway, Then the central girders with a crash gave way, and down went the train and passengers into the Tay. The storm fiend did loudly bray, because ninety lives had been taken away on the last Sabbath day of 1879, which will be remembered for a very long time. As soon as the catastrophe came to be known, the alarm from mouth to mouth was blown, and the cry rang out all o'er the town, Good heavens, the Tay Bridge is blown down. And a passenger train from Edinburgh, which filled all the people's hearts with sorrow, and made them for to turn pale, because none of the passengers were saved to tell the tale, how the disaster happened on the last Sabbath day of 1879, which will be remembered for a very long time. It must have been an awful sight to witness in the dusky moonlight while the storm fiend did laugh and angry did bray along the railway bridge of the Silvery Tay, O ill-fated bridge of the Silvery Tay. I must now conclude my lay by telling the world fearlessly without the least dismay that your central girders would not have given way, at least many sensible men do say, had they been supported on each side with buttresses At least many sensible men confess, for the stronger we our houses do build, the less chance we have of being killed. Now I'm not going to lie, that will have been edited to make it sound as though I managed to read that in one go without laughing. I didn't. One thing that I must add as well about Thomas Bouch. Thomas Bouch actually died a couple of years after the Taybridge disaster and it completely ruined his life. He was basically found to be at fault. He was the man who was blamed for the falling of the bridge. Now some of you may have heard of a saying which is a botched job. It is believed it might have been a bouched job which eventually changed to botched job. Anyway, folks, that's it for this week. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to catch up with me and keep in touch and things like that, you can do so via social media on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for Scott History Pod. You can contact me via email on scotthistorypod at gmail.com or even through the website www.scotthistorypod at gmail.com. If for any reason you would like to support the podcast, you can do so uh, via Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Scott History Pod. And on there you can donate monthly to the podcast and cancel it at any time if you just want to give a little bit of something back. It's very much appreciated. So folks, thank you very much once again for listening and I will see you again next time.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.